On this morning's show, we are joined by Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Ecognosis Advisory. Good morning, Andrew. Hi, good morning. And by Guy O'Load, who is the head of global equities at Federated Hermes. Good morning, Guy. Good morning. So China inflation numbers seem to have come in weak once again. This has added to the negativity surrounding the economy and the markets. However, the markets are starting to show signs of bottoming. So are investors now thinking that we're at the bottom and we can expect some improvement in the economy going forward? I'll start with you, Andrew. Um, I'm not quite sure. There are two things here. One, the news that uh, China is in deflation, in inverted commas, okay, big headlines. I'm afraid it's a little bit of a nonsense because the producer price index has been going down. It has been negative, consistently shrinking for, take a breath, 13 months. And the numbers in October were very much par for the cost, minus 2.6. These are all year on year. So the fact that the consumer price index, that in the last six months, in the last half a year, okay, the highest it has been was 0.1. The rest of it was either below zero or zero or minus. So in other words, really, there are no news here. China, unlike United States or European Union, doesn't have at all an inflation problem. Now, to call this deflation, strictly speaking, yes, it is correct that you're having negative numbers year-on-year basis. Now, does it mean that the whole country is deflating? Well, on the other hand, we had a GDP growth rate for the third, for the third quarter at 4.9%. It doesn't look to me as an economy which is, uh, which is deflating. Price indexes might be deflating, but not the whole of economy. And also, it's very, very good news as far as, um, in inverted commas, politics is concerned, because the low prices have been driven by low food prices. And given that consumer spending in China at the back of relatively weak increases in income, still following the pause of the COVID. Okay, this is very, very good news because food prices are incredibly sensitive anywhere in the world and particularly in China. And this has been coming down, especially with pork prices, which is a key component that was actually shrunk by nearly 30%. I think these are very good news. So, Guy, do you agree that the uh, deflation, disinflation, or whatever you do want to call it, is actually good news for, uh, for, the, con- for the consumers and they are benefiting from it? I, I think it's good news. I think that, um, that you know, stagflation, when you hear the word stagflation, everybody gets concerned. I think, you know, now consumers and, and businesses, they're going to postpone purchases and it's going to slow down the economy. I agree. I don't think this is the case here. You're see, still seeing the economic growth. You're still uh, the economy is still on track. So I I, I agree. It, it's it, I I don't see it as a big concern at this point. You've got, okay, I mean, slightly positive retail sales figures, which is not necessarily too positive in China. Um, so it's not like the consumers are going out there in droves and you know take, taking advantage of these deflationary prices. So what's going to start driving them to start going back and, you know, purchasing goods? Um, Andrew? Well, there are two things here. One is, is that I'm a great believer that the COVID shock, and in particular the zero COVID policies in China, and it's very sudden and abrupt reversal, okay, has still left both the economy and consumers. I don't want to call it in a state of shock, but in a state, let's say, of consternation and uh, reappraisal of where they are going to. That's number one. There is something called long COVID, 
which is, has been completely ignored universally okay, by investors, and that is the impact of COVID in terms of lingering illnesses, not anything that's going to kill you, but something which is quite debilitating, which is now universally accepted by doctors, but not by investors, affecting practically everybody in the world, including the United States and including China. And I'm sure this doesn't produce a good look forward effect. I'm not saying that China has got uh, a, a wave of infections because these are after effect, after effect emphasize. And the fact that the property side in China still is doing badly. My favorite index is uh, the index of uh, 70 cities, new housing index, which has been going down for nearly a year and a half with no sign of reversal. This doesn't something that is boost your confidence. So it is one thing to say that the economy is expanding, and one thing, the other thing to say is, why then is not consumer spending increases? The answer is, well, it doesn't. And hence, the importance of the policies taken by the government and the fact that we're having now even more potential spending on uh, infrastructure with uh, President Sisi's announcement that natural monopolies in inverted commas, that's a rather dangerous expression, but anyway, in the context of which he was taking, that, that makes some sense, they are going to be increased spending on uh, infrastructure spending and in particular on, uh, on energy. So this actually is a good segue for you, Gear, uh, because I know you are an ESG specialist. And China does try and focus on the green side of everything. Yet, at the same time, he's talking about increasing infrastructure spending, energy spending. How do the two marry up and where do you see the ESG sector in China? Uh, no, the ESG sector in China, I think if you look at ESG, what's important with ESG is that, number one, people have been concerned about global warming and, and, uh, and, 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 and climate change. And the, the problem with, as you've seen in the rest of the world, and not in China, but in, in the rest of the world, is that interest rates have gone quite, you know, they have gone up. And high interest rates in general uh, in in Western markets have, have caused these uh, investments to be less attractive because you have to put up all the capital spending up front. And that's, you know, higher cost of capital will, will, will reduce the value of these projects. Um, we have we've done some also some research on on um, on ESG and found that companies that that uh, have a green profile they get easier access to to um, to um, to lower to capital and and lower funding costs and and that's proven to us that you know when we look at the attractiveness of these companies we see that that uh, you know lower co capital cost will increase the value of these companies we're also seeing that that if you focus on the esg side the way we look at the esg is that that it reduces stock volatility and we have seen less surprises with companies that that uh, have a good profile and also uh, as we talk about in china here is that it also gives opportunity for growth because the governments want to to participate in in, in 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 these projects, they want to to provide growth and 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 help the, uh, mitigating the climate change and and that that's also a, a really important thing for us is that we we, we, we like that growth that you, you see both from the Inflation Reaction Reduction Act in the U.S. and in other programs that governments are doing to 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 focus on on, on climate 
and 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 how to mitigate that. So, Andrew. Is enough being done in the ESG sector? I know recently, I mean, it had been flavour of the day for quite a while, but recently there has been a few, let's just say, headwinds coming through as uh, Gia just spoke about higher interest rates. Um, You've got governments talking about trying to be green, but not necessarily acting like they want to be green. So, Uh, yeah, so what is your thoughts across all My thoughts are absolutely grim. You know, I'm a very keen observer on uh, climate policies and not only climate policies, but also on the measurements of emissions that are coming out from every single country. Uh, End of November, beginning of December, we're going to have the COP meeting in Doha, the 28th meeting. And I'm afraid significantly it is sponsored by Doha, by part of the United Arab uh, uh, Emirates, of which they are all major producers of... uh, fossil fuels, uh, it's a little bit uncomfortable to think that something incredibly positive is going to come out. What's going to come out of it, it's an absolute jumbled mess because all the numbers we have, this is not forecasting, all the numbers on emissions during 23 and going forward to 24 are going to be grim. In other words, the relatively rec- relative recovery in GDP growth in practically all the major economies, and in particular the four major polluters, which is United States, European Union, India, and China. Two of them, of course, are developing economies. I can tell you, they are not going to sacrifice part of their GDP growth for decreases in emission. The sad part is, is that the majority of countries do take steps and have been making very significant progress in the direction of renewable energy, but not anywhere near the 1.5 global uh, warming target that the United Nations is imposing. And in fact, we are now talking that at that rate, we're looking at 2.5 degrees increases in temperature by the year 50, which is grim. So Doha is simply going to point out to us that we're doing quite a lot, but not anywhere near to avoid really, really bad results. So, no, I'm, I'm incredibly bearish on this. Although, of course, this is going to be very bullish for all the countries, for all the companies in renewable and energy investments, because it's going to be the last, uh, let's say, saving straw turning to see that if we can reverse it. And at that rate, the answer is, is no, we can't. I'm simply telling you what the United Nations is telling you. Telling me it's not, I'm not a climatologist, but it is genuinely grim. So, Gear, are we really doomed? I mean, we've had record temperatures this year. I mean, you look at India at the moment and Delhi's at almost record pollution levels. They've got the Cricket World Cup going on and it's not been a very good advert when people are seeing the levels of smog and the, un, you know, the fact that they can barely breathe in the air. So is it as gloomy as uh, Andrew just pointed out? I think, I think Andrew, the point he made about if you look at the overall picture, I think it's, it's, it doesn't look that good. And if you look at the um, the sustainable development goals that the UN put out, and, and you look at where are we in terms of, of of accomplishing those, we can see that we are, you know, uh, only a few percent, uh, about fifteen percent of the the goals that are sort of on track to sort of meet the end point. So that means that we're not 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 getting there there. But that means that, you know, governments have to put them. You know, uh, effort in to sort of try to change that. And as Andrew said, it, it's not about you know the overall picture, but for investors, it's about participating in 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 what we're going to see coming in terms of of, of, of focusing on on on, on 
renewable energy. And, and that's why I think that you can find good investments in, in that space. And, and not only do you get to participate in the in, in mitigating the the uh, climate change, but you also get companies that are at, and have fairly attractive valuation. So, Andrew, are companies doing enough? I mean, there's a level of greenwashing, isn't there? I mean, you talk about HSBC, you turn around and say they want to be sustainable. But whenever you go and sit at the bank, they are literally printing out reams and reams of paper for you. Instead of that stuff that can be done online, I mean, online or just on the computer. So are corporates just talking about being green and not really doing enough? Or are they actually doing enough? I'll give you two, uh, uh, let's say, fairly concrete evidence that uh, the appreciation on greenery in the markets is at an all-time low. I'm a very keen exponent of investing in defense. Now, this is quite dangerous because defense is a very delicate moral issue. And of course, if ESG was to be taken seriously, if I open my mouth in front of a client and I will say, please invest in, uh, in defense companies, okay, countries are killing each other at a huge rate and that's good for business. A horrible thing to say, okay, then the ESG actually has disappeared down the drain because nobody pays any attention to that. Once upon a time, if you were a defense company, people would not even bother to look at your ESG. They would simply look at the beginning of the word defense. So all-time low as to the confidence of what ESG are telling you. And even more importantly is looking at not just the developed, countries, but the developing countries and the progress they had in terms of their corporates producing reliable ESG, and that has slowly grinding down to a halt. And as for the green funding, the only thing I see in the media is continuous criticism that green funds are funds, but they ain't green. <laughs> Great. Um, so on that note, unfortunately, on that note, that's all we do have time for. But uh, definitely a topic that we can continue on for a lot longer. Um, so I'd like to thank both Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Ecognosis Advisory, and Gear Lode, who is head of global equities at Federated Hermes, for coming in. Thank you, guys.